Now here's a highlight from Coast to Coast AM on iHeartRadio. We are back with Brian Solis. His book is called Life Scale, How to Live a More Creative, Productive, and Happy Life. Brian, uh, with all these distractions that are out there, what are they doing to younger people? Because I'm seeing kids on smartphones, tablets, playing video games. This is bound to affect them. <laughs> how, how much do we really want to know? The, uh, the answer is profoundly. You, what you have is, are, is two different ways of it affecting them. One is there's us, you know, you and I, we know what the world was like with an analog-first sort of mentality. Uh, so we we have something to compare against, but children don't. This is their normal, right? And so what's happening behind the scenes, and what if we want to geek out for a quick second, is that games, apps, devices, a lot of these are used with a technique that's called persuasive design, and it's meant to manipulate behavior, to change it in a way that essentially grabs your attention more and more and more, that makes the device or the app or the service much like an opioid or or a substance that's mm-hmm. that's abused and so what's happening is that there's a there's a chemical reaction in your body as you use this but there's also a mental rewiring it's called neuroplasticity so as you're using this your brain is being rewired in ways that say when we learn by reading books or or listening to speeches as you as you use these devices or play these games or use these networks, your brain is being rewired differently. So it accelerates your body, it accelerates it accelerates your brain, and you speed up in ways that are not normal. So multitasking becomes sort of this normal, but also things like anxiety, self esteem issues, uh, stoking or triggering uh, things that might bring about depression. So much of this is happening behind the scenes, and parents are just not in the know because to them it's just, hey, I'm just using Facebook, or I'm just letting my kids watch YouTube, but it's so much more than that. I make a point that that when I go out to dinner with some people, I put my cell phone in my pocket and will not look at it until the event is over, the dinner's over. Well, I would love to have dinner with you (laughs) because that, that would mean that you're present and that you're intentionally trying to be in that moment and we have all been to concerts or we've all been to events where everybody takes out their phone uh, and nothing not that there's anything wrong with that but it's just different right or or if we look at people walking down the street or waiting at a bus stop or a train station that everyone's looking at their phones if if, if anyone wants to have fun uh, tonight while you're listening, go to YouTube and just look up all the street cam videos of people who are on their phones walking into fountains or hitting brick walls or hitting street posts. It's, <laughs> it's, 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 we just, it, it's, it's almost like, it's almost like we're living these two lives. Uh, I, I call it sort of our actual self, but also selfie actualization that, 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 that person we sort of see ourselves as being online. And like Snapchat. Why do people think it's interesting for us to look at the food they're eating at a restaurant? <laughs> well, you know, I hit a nerve there, didn't I? It's, it's, I, I, I got to tell you, some, so I, I was just looking before I, I, I called in uh, at some of my friends' posts that were all about food. It's, it's not just Snapchat; it's every, it's every app, and it's, you know, look. It's not. It's not their fault. I call us accidental narcissists. I think that we, because we were programmed, this is not by you know we didn't sign up for this, right? This is something that 
we became sort of accustomed to by the nature of the design of the apps and also how amazing it felt when people liked or loved or commented on stuff. So we, we, we got sort of cultured into this. And when we share pictures of our food, that's our way of saying, hey, I'm, I'm having this really great moment. And then we sort of invite people to participate in that moment. But behind the scenes is what's dangerous, right? And that's what is, we need more of that. We have to feed more of that. I got to share more of that so I can get more of that type of feeling, that those chemicals in my body, just the same way as like I snort a line of cocaine or, or I take a hit of this or I take a dose of that. And so we take these microdoses of sharing, not just because it's the best food we've ever had, but because we also want that reaction. I know uh, when you go to the airport, I'm going to head to Florida tomorrow for my live show on Saturday. But when you are at the airport just sitting there, you'll look at a row of 20 people, and 18 of them have their phones out. And they're all sending messages and texting. Nothing wrong with that. But, I mean, it has really taken over society. Yeah, and it's taken over society in, in, in good and, and not-so-good ways, right? Uh, so, for example, in that moment, we could take a step back and talk about boredom. The, there was a time where you and I, you know, we were children, and we would go and we'd play and we'd do all these things. We'd, we'd, we'd really try to cultivate our imagination. We'd have board games, all that yeah, stuff. All of that stuff, right? And what devices and pervasive connectivity, and in, in this case, airport Wi-Fi, give us is sort of that ability to be always on, always connected, and then add to that sort of the, 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 the need to feel connected, the need to feel like you belong to something, the need to feel like you matter because you're getting these responses and these connections and these followers. And, and so that starts to create this micro, which quickly becomes a macro reality that these things are important to you, even though if you take a step back, they're probably not, right? But a lot of this is also by design. Again, persuasive design. I'll give you a quick example. So it's called intermittent variable rewards. If you open up Instagram or you name your favorite app, you'll notice there's a microsecond before you see how many new notifications you have. And that's designed to sort of create that anxiety to release those chemicals so that when you do see a number, you feel like you won and you feel like this great sense of relief. And that becomes sort of an addictive behavioral trait that you want, you want to see more and more of, right? And that's by design. And so when you're opening your devices in an airport or you're not allowing yourself to be bored, what's really important is that you're not also allowing yourself to imagine. You're not allowing yourself to be creative. You're not allowing yourself to take on, say, things like critical thinking or just deep thoughts or deep work because we're constantly reaching for that device and we break ourselves from that ability. When you were putting together the book LifeScale, did you have any uh, issues or did you hit any uh, roadblocks or anything like that? Yeah, I uh, I didn't actually set out to write LifeScale. The book itself is a result of hitting a roadblock, uh, which was me trying to write what would have been my eighth book around a totally different subject. And I couldn't get past the proposal stage. It had been a good three years since my book before that, and the book before that was a good two, two or so years. So the technology that I helped market, the technology that I helped sort of become mainstream, ironically started to affect me. I just didn't know it. I, I initially blamed writer's block. But after a lot of soul searching, I realized that it was, wasn't just my inability to write a book proposal. It was also, I was, I was not present as a husband, as a father, as a friend, 
as a, as, a, as an analyst, as, as, as a leading analyst, I noticed that my research was going through tons and tons of edits in ways that had never really been done before. And the creativity of them, the, the, the spark of innovation just had, had dissipated. But of course, I didn't see that at all. So LifeScale was the result of me trying to figure out how to fix myself. And what was really disturbing and what is still disturbing to me is the lack of answers out there, the lack of awareness of what's actually happening behind the scenes, the lack of actually people caring what's happening. Go to any park, uh, any playground, and watch the number of parents on their cell phones, watch the number of kids running around, and notice the disconnect between reality and the real world and the digital world. All of these things are now a result of of what we were, it's a great reckoning that's about to, to happen. I wrote LifeScale as a means of helping people who were like me fix their life, not just go back to the way things were, but to realize, like, you look, look, we're not going to be able to abandon technology, but let's at least be mindful about it and intentional about it and live a great and even better life than we could have otherwise. But then the irony of this, too, is that I also wrote a book about digital distractions for people that don't know they're digitally distracted, and that's another area I have to work through. It is uh, a blessing and a curse, isn't it? It is. It is. It is, George. And, and that's, I think that's what, it, what inspires me so much, is that my life work is taking a break from studying all of this disruptive technology and its impact on markets and digital anthropology and, and really working with parents and teachers and mentors and aunts and uncles and churches to help anyone who has a community or anyone who has an audience or anyone who, who matters to someone else realize that we're not on a good path right now. Has it brought, has technology brought people together closer or has it pushed them away? You know, honestly, the, the, the only way I can answer that is yes. Uh, the world is a much smaller place. We have some of the most amazing relationships. I have some of the most amazing relationships that I would never have otherwise had. But when I give into my own cognitive biases, when I allow myself to only see the people or the things that feed those cognitive biases, then it's a bad thing because I'm not growing. I'm actually regressing as a human being. I'm taking away from my potential. I'm taking away from the potential of what I could contribute to the world or what I could contribute to other people who can contribute to the world. And that creates a very stagnant and regressive society. And, and with that comes a lot of a lot of bad things. And, and unfortunately, we're seeing a lot of those bad things play out around the world today. Well, you know, I had a story on uh, newspaper publications are way down since uh, the lowest level since 1940. And there's, there's one reason. People are reading and getting their information online. And it's not always it's not always the right information, which is uh, the, the the scary part. Uh, you know, to that to be said, there is, uh, or or to be fair, there there are numbers that show that some of the greatest institutions in the media in the media world are actually really starting to turn around and realize the uh, the, the promise of the impact. I think what we saw that was wrong was that a lot of legacy based media companies when faced with the digital era, tried to bring that sort of analog, that print mindset to mm-hmm. the digital world. And, you know, that, that didn't work out so well. And they're now starting to figure out how to monetize that. And so we're, we're, we're in a better place, but we're also in a place where, and I, and I heard some of, uh, some of your bumpers and, and some of your past stories also focus on 
uh, fake news and fake information. And I'll tell you the thing, the thing that's scary to any, any good journalist, right? I went to J school back in college. The thing that's scary to any journalist is that when your skill and your talent and your diligence and your hard work are then compared to or compromised by anyone with a voice and anyone with a platform. I once said that the good thing about social media is that it gave everybody a voice. The bad thing about social media is that it gave, gave everybody, everybody a voice. A voice. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, we, we see something that's happening right now. On September 20th, uh, a guy had gone online uh, to get people round up to, uh, you know, show up at Area 51 in Nevada uh, and, you know, try to find out what's going on with the UFO world. Well, that's a secret government base. They're not going to fool around, but there are apparently a million seven people who have signed up to come up and show up that day. I hope not. Uh, I hope nobody shows up, but uh, some people are going to, and there could be arrests, and God knows what else could happen, uh, all because of social media. Yep, yep. That's the one thing about social media is that it's in, it's inherently social, uh, but it's also, for better or for worse, it's it's uh, it brings together a community of people, whether it's whether it's something that's good or or bad, right? And so, look, a lot of people believe that at Area Fifty One, there's some things that have been kept from the public, and and they may be right, and they may be right. Uh, and social media is a great catalyst for bringing those people together and, and, and really inciting whatever excitement or fear or anxiety it is. That's, that's, that's the good and the bad of all of this, right? It could be Area 51. It could be Russian influence on our elections. It could be whatever you want it to be. And you can find an audience for that, and you can get them excited about it. But there, it, it comes back to an earlier part you and I were talking about, which is that that all of this is without consequence, right? Um, I think uh, <laughs> randomly came across Ice T, the uh, the rapper and the mm-hmm. actor, uh, who said something about. Uh, I'll, I'll just paraphrase something about the thing about social media is that it's given everybody too much permission and too much space to say whatever they want without getting punched in the mouth for it, and that I think is really empowering a lot of people um, to do and say and therefore incite a lot of things that would never have otherwise been socially acceptable. Well, that's, that is so true. And, but do you see it getting better or worse, or what's going to happen? George, I wish, I wish I had a better answer for you. Uh, you know, I'm not just an anthropologist. Part of my, my work is also as a futurist. And the futurist is to predict, predict the future. It's to play out certain scenarios in the future so that we can make informed decisions right now to create the future we want to see. And in a lot of this a lot of the data and a lot of the a lot of the work that I'm playing out right now, especially in politics, none of this is good. None of this is none of this is good. And there's no one really leading the way for that sanctity, that that awareness, that sort of father or mother figure to say, you know, you know what, you know what we're doing wrong? You know what we need to do differently? That's not there. So we're just going all at this as if we're getting drunk on social media and all of these devices and saying, ha party, like it's 1999, and everybody is right. Everybody is not wrong on every side. No one is evil. Everybody's the hero. And that, in that incarnation, can't be good. 
Listen to more Coast to Coast AM every weeknight at 1 a.m. Eastern and go to coasttocoastam.com for more.